All right, listen to some jams while I uh, light a cigar. Alright, it's Big John, it's Panic Attack. Like, share, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, follow me on Getter and Twitter and Truth Social at the real underscore Big John. Listen to this, listen to this cheer. Listen, listen. Making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our Constitution, does not become the next president again. Have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by uh, if we uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our constitution, does not become the next president again. Why? Have to demonstrate that he will not take power um, by uh, if we uh, if he does run, uh, making sure he, uh, under legitimate efforts of uh, our. Okay. So. That's what Joe Biden Give up. We are not sunk yet. We will never surrender. We will never give up. Never, never, never. It's not who we are. It's not what we do. We never give up. We are not sunk yet. We will never surrender. We will never give up. Never, never, never. It's not who we... So... (coughs) Wait a second. Okay, so the first clip you heard, if you didn't recognize the voice, that was Joseph Biden saying that he's planning an insurrection. He's going to do everything he can to keep Trump from being elected president in 2024. Well, shit far. What in the blue hell is that? Uh, I just caught that. I mean, that sounds worse... Worse than anything Trump said, and as bad as all the things the media twisted and the words they put into Trump's mouth, like you need to put words in Trump's mouth. Um, let's just simmer down here. Simmer, simmer down. I uh, projected and predicted a month ago or so. Maybe a few weeks ago, I don't know, a while ago. That if, you know, the projections going into this uh, 2024, uh, 2022, excuse me, midterm, was Republicans would take the House of Representatives and it would be by a large margin. Uh, That did not happen. But what I said was, 
let's say Republicans are projected to win at one point it was like 250 plus seats uh, and then that kind of faded down and then it went back up where it's like well it's possible Republicans could get over 250 seats uh, election night I heard somebody say over 240 right now that it's on track to be like 224 uh, but the, the Democrats and the media and the liberals and some Republicans, establishment Republicans, are pretending this is a loss for Republicans. I predicted that. I said if we fall one seat short of the projections that... The Democrats and the the media liberals will act like this was a loss for MAGA Republicans, Republicans in general. So let's look here. Uh, in Nevada, we have and I okay. So real clear politics. They don't have these races projected, but at this point, they have a projection of. The Democrats have certainly enough votes to win 48 seats in the Senate and 49 or Republicans have enough votes to win 49 in the Senate. Uh, they're saying that it's a, a, Democrats have picked up one seat. Republicans have lost one seat. But the projections I see... Uh, Laxalt in Nevada, I think he's on track to win. Uh, Laxalt, he's on track to win. I heard someplace that Arizona is being called in favor of Blake Masters. Uh, he's actually, according to Real Clear Politics, behind by like four and a half or no and even five percent uh with 76 percent of the vote in uh, i don't know when last time real clear politics um updated carrie lake has pulled to within 0.6 percent of her opponent with 76 percent of the vote she had a slightly lesser margin to overcome than masters did so that could be the the difference there but this morning uh i think masters was down uh 90,000 votes and lake was down like 30,000 uh and the remaining vote uh, totals were coming in at 65% in favor of Lake and Masters. And there were about 455,000 votes left that they could pick up. So maybe the, the pace isn't exactly 65% or higher for Blake Masters. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, as far as the House of Representatives, the Republicans, uh, have 210 seats that have been called by 
real clear politics. So they've gained seven. They gained a lot in 2020 also. Okay, that's key to remember. 210 House seats for Republicans, 192 for Democrats. So the Republicans are plus seven. The Democrats are minus seven. And not a lot changed with the uh, governors. You know, governorships kind of tell you where the country is. And really, Republicans lost two governorships and Democrats gained two. Uh, it looks like we're going to get Nevada and Arizona. So those aren't in the total yet. But there was a chance that there could be 31 or 32 Republican governors after election night. Uh, all that being said, Republicans picked up seats in strange places. Uh, as the day has gone on and the votes are uh, being tallied, counted, Republicans gained three seats in the five boroughs of New York, right, in the New York City region. Uh, they're calling it the Long Island Sweep. Republicans won all three Long Island House of Representatives seats. Uh, they also picked up seats in California. Uh, I forget. Oh, I've got it right here in front of me. I can look. Uh but that's unusual that Republicans would gain seats in those deep Democrat strongholds. Let me go down through, okay, California. Well, now it's not showing me. Earlier today, Real Clear Politics was showing Republicans gained three or four seats in California, but maybe they've taken those down and are just showing the races that are still in play. Yeah, because they're, they're not. All right, we're just not going to worry about it. But I know earlier today uh, I was looking at this and there, it showed Republicans gained House of Representative seats in California. That was an unusual. Lee Zeldin, he was closer. Sorry for the people on the podcast that every time I move something around, it makes a noise. I was listening this morning and could hear kind of all this annoying background music or background noise of me moving around. Anyhow, Lee Zeldin, he made this New York governor's race way closer than it should have been. Way, way closer than it should have been. You know, unless you have like a juggernaut candidate like uh, Rudy Giuliani who took on and took down the mafia, uh, George Pataki, who had been in New York politics forever, was kind of a nice guy, good governor, but uh, kind of center, moderate Republican. I'm not saying anything bad about George Pataki. He was a good governor of New York. But uh, Zeldin has gotten closer than any Republican should in that deep blue state when uh, a lot of the Republicans there and people that could have potentially voted Republican moved to Florida. They all moved to Florida, and everyone said, oh, well, Florida's going to become a purple state. 
and then a blue state because all these New Yorkers are moving south. No, those New Yorkers moved south and converted to Republican because they're like, those Democrats up north are knocking futz, man. Or sometimes you might want to say fucking nuts. But that's where we stand. Republicans won in areas they had not won in in years. Hey, including Guam. But here's something that's interesting. Um, 73 or so percent of people say that they're not happy with the direction of the country. This is a scary philosophical thunk I had. A thought. A, a, something. I, I was listening to a podcast and... Uh, um, anyways, they were saying that, you know, Generation Z and the Millennial Generation, they're kind of brainwashed by the lockdown time, by the indoctrination in education. And my worry is, do we have a couple generations behind us now that think the country's going in a bad direction and the only only people that can save it are the government. Because when we were in the pandemic lockdowns, everything was, well, do what the government tells you. We've got to listen to the government or we're all going to die. You know, General Gen Z, pardon, I see the, the abbreviation G-E-N, I think general. Gen Z and the millennials... They have been told their whole lives that we're, we're going to die. You are going to die of a, a natural climatic event if you don't do what the government or the scientists say to do. Global warming. Now, in the, in the 70s, I was in, I'm, I'm kind of middle-aged, 46. In the 1980s, I was in elementary school, and we had outdated science books from the 70s. And our outdated science books from the 70s said that the polar ice caps were growing again, and that we were going to have another ice age. Okay, so my generation, we were like, look out for the Russians and the the, the atomic bomb, we we're still at the end of that. Look out for the commies around every corner coming to kill you. Uh, and then we went from um, Ice Age to, to global warming, they called it back then. Now they call it climate change. But anyhow, when I got into junior high, we even questioned our science teacher and said, hey, Our last science teacher in elementary school told us that the, the icebergs were getting bigger, ice caps, but we call them icebergs we were kids. Uh, the, the ice caps are getting bigger, and there's going to be another ice age. What do you mean the, the plant's heating up? Oh, you know, the, here, here's what Gen Z has been told. Global warming is going to cause the oceans to rise, and you're going to drown. The ozone layer is going away, and you're going to die of skin cancer. The atmosphere is 
going away and all the oxygen and nutrients and uh, whatever the hell else is in the air that we breathe, nitrogen, that's what I was trying to say, it's all going to float away into outer space and you're going to suffocate. Pollution is going to kill you. All this stuff is what Generation Z and the Millennials have been told. So they're scared shitless and they've been told the only people that can save you are the government. Governments can save you. Be it your United States government, European Union, British government, God help you, the French government, uh, or uh, the United Nations, a, a big, big old government. Okay, no. The only person that can save you is you. Okay? Uh my buddy and I were talking about how do we get through though to Generation Z because they're kind of pussies. They're kind of pansies. They kind of wear their mom, their mother's undergarments when you ain't looking, and they do it openly. So I guess even when you are looking now. Well, anyway, uh, who hasn't tried on their mom's bra and underwear? I mean, come on. It's the '90s. Just kidding. Uh, but uh, my buddy was saying, you know, people aren't going to respond to someone that's yelling at them and in your face. And and I I agree with that. You know, Trump is perceived to be an in-your-face kind of guy. And I said, yeah, you know, that, that Kellyanne Conway, who never got the credit for being the first woman to run a, a winning presidential campaign, she took Trump's Twitter away from him the, the last week of the campaign to make sure he didn't shoot himself in the foot. Uh, and so uh, a way to get through to the younger generation, uh, again, this uh, podcast with uh, a girl that goes by the nickname Sour Patch Lids or Lydia. Uh, she used to be on Timcast IRL. Anyhow, she was talking about Jordan Peterson and his approach to how he gets through to people. And it's a much more rational, philosophical conversation. The number of people getting married these days, I I reckon, is uh, less than it has been in history. Uh, I don't know exactly by how much, but that's what I'm told. He was, Jordan Peterson, he goes out and philosophizes, well, young men, marriage is good for you in many ways. Instead of the uh, old school Republican way like me, hey, it's, it's everybody's dream to go out and get married and white picket fence and station wagon and two and a half kids. I don't know where the half, maybe one of them's a little slow. I don't know. I don't know how you get 2.5 kids, but when I was coming up, it was like, yeah, the average family has two and a half kids. I'm like, how you get half a kid? Are you King Solomon and two women are fighting over him? And he says, well, I'm going to cut the baby in half and each of you get a half. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, it was always my dream, and my grandmother said, don't you dare get married. I said, okay, Granny, you never led me wrong. Uh, anyhow, to me, that was always the American dream. 
instead of throwing it in people's faces and saying, no, this is what your dream is supposed to be. Jordan Peterson sits back and calmly in a, a monotone way says, you know, young men, marriage is good for you. It, it helps you be a better man. It makes you calmer. It gives you uh, some place to go. A, a companion is good for you. It, you know, all these things. And slowly, these young men start to get philosophical and, yeah, you know, that's right. You know, maybe it, it's true. Maybe I should look for a wife. That's how we need to approach things like abortion. It seems, I don't know a statistic, but if you sit down and talk to a rational person, and you say, okay, um, you know, rational person, I think abortion should be illegal. Oh, we've been indoctrinated to say that that's a woman's body and you can't touch that, Mr. Man. I say, well, you know, women aren't allowed to put heroin in their bodies, are they? Oh, well, no, but, you know, that's, that's different. Like, you know, what if she doesn't want to have that baby and, and raise it for 18 years? And that's what the majority of abortions are. I'm like, yeah, that, I understand what you're saying. But there are people lined up uh, willing to adopt these babies, waiting to adopt babies because they can't have children of their own. Oh, well, yeah, okay. I'm like, well, you know, I understand, you know, rape and incest are bad. And, you know, the first three or four weeks of the pregnancy... The, there's nothing really going on with the baby. It does have its own unique DNA code at the moment of conception. Did you know that? Oh well, I didn't know that. They didn't. They didn't teach me that in school, or you know, my science teacher said that, but all my other teachers they said it's a woman's body. So I'm okay. Well, we agree that you know, at the moment of conception, science says the baby has its own unique DNA code. Oh yeah, what's well, still just a clump of cells. And I say, oh, you're, okay, I, I can go along with that. Um, how about it, you know, six weeks or so, I don't know, 13 weeks, I'm not really sure. Uh, at a certain point, the baby has its own heartbeat, right? I'm like, yeah, of course they're going to say yes, because that's true. And I say, well, how about if, you know, <coughs> now that we know the baby has a unique DNA code, uh, they have a heartbeat, they have pain receptors, so they can feel pain, uh, should, shouldn't that baby be allowed to finish out its term uh, and be born? A lot of people are going to say yes, because you just gave them a simplistic step-by-step common-sense article, or argument, pardon me, to get to, uh, from point A to point B. That's how you win the argument. It's not in your face. And you can apply that same step-by-step point-counterpoint process to economics, to freedoms, all of these things, if you're dealing with a rational person, 
there, there's about 10% of the country that's very much on the, the right wing, we'll just say, and there's 10% on the, the extreme left wing, and then there's this 80% that gradually comes to the middle, and really Americans tend to be middle from the center a little to the right, but anyhow, that could be changing over time, but whatever. There's a bigger group in the middle than there are on the, the outliers. And those ones in the middle, no matter what generation, no matter what year, are the ones that we need to take the message of conservatism to. They're the ones that we need to take the message of republicanism to. They're the ones that we need to win the argument with. It's not, you know, win the argument with uh, a radical extreme leftist. And if you're a, a moderate Democrat, which, anyway, if you're a moderate Democrat, it's not win the argument with the extreme right wing. It's win the argument with the masses of people. And that's how you get votes. Now, where the hell did John Fetterman get this hot-looking wife of his? We, I don't think he's a good person, frankly. He just, you know, he says he he uses the bully. Well, he he said he used the bully pulpit of the lieutenant governor to get things done. I don't like a bully. Uh, he can't string together five words to make a sentence. And I'm, I've been told he's been like that pre-stroke. Now, I tried to email him at one time because he was uh, given credit for turning around this, the village or city of Braddock, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was trying to revive Main Street USA in my town. Never returned my email, by the way. Uh, but he's probably getting thousands because he was like national news. Uh, but he's this big goober, extreme leftist. Uh, he probably won't make it one term. Uh, but he's got a hot-looking wife. And some people say she is another Jill Biden. That she is... Uh, she's She doesn't feel she can become... A powerful person so she props him up and helps him to become you know a bigger and bigger politician uh, I read or heard somewhere that when he had to resign as mayor to be lieutenant governor he suggested appointing his wife mayor and that didn't happen but uh, when I saw him and her meeting uh, Joe Biden and others at the airport for a rally she kind of reminded me of Meghan Markle more uh, I don't know the whole dynamics of the you know the, the thing you know <laughs> you know the thing as Joe Biden would say uh, but It seems as though, you know, she was greeting Joe Biden. 
he was standing behind her in the rare occasion you see him wearing a suit, uh, looking like a big goober. And that's his normal look, by the way. That's not because he had a stroke. Uh, but she was greeting people, and it reminded me of the way Meghan Markle, you know, butts into Prince Henry's converse, Prince Harry's conversation. Not Henry the Eighth. I am. I am. She butts in. Uh, she protects him. Uh, so there, there's a couple ways you can look at this. Uh, is she along the lines of Hillary Clinton and Jill Biden and Meghan Markle, who's someone who's latched on to a guy that was going places in life, and uh, she brought, she rode his coattails along? I, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't judge, but. I just want to know how this goofy-looking dude got such a hot wife. Uh, <laughs> that's my thing. In other fun Pennsylvania politics, as we go out the door here, Pennsylvania elected a dead guy. Uh, God rest his soul, but the late Democrat rep, uh, Tony State Representative, Tony DeLuca was elected to the Pennsylvania State House. So Pennsylvania, you elected Lurch, a big monster goober, and you elected a dead guy. I feel sorry for Pennsylvania. Those poor Amish people. So uh, the, the, the thing now is, where do we go from here? Which is the way that's clear? Still looking for the blue jean baby queen, prettiest girl I've ever seen. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a supposed riff between Trump and DeSantis. Trump put out a truth on Truth Social today, uh, you know, saying DeSantis won Florida bigly, but are we going to uh, admit that I got 1.1 million? more votes in 2020 than he did this year in the state of Florida. Uh, so Trump is going to announce Tuesday that he's running for president and the fight is on. I really don't want to see him fight with DeSantis and anybody, but that's how he is. He attacks whoever he sees as a threat and he needs to just chill and stick to policies. And, you know, somebody's got to get that point across to him to chill the F out and stick to policy. I am sticking with Trump until the, the end, so I just can't take it anymore. Uh, I think he will win a Republican primary, and I think he will win the presidency because he reaches out to and reaches out to and appeals to the people like me. But he's genuine about it. I'm the guy that the sniveling sneaks in the Republican Party run crying to when they need to win an election. Uh, I've been criticized. I'm not talking about just me, but there's a, a group within the Republican Party that's conservative, and the moderate Republicans cry to us when they need help. I was the radical right... I was the radical religious right. I was the tea party, the tea baggers, the tea leaves. 
and this is what people I hear in my own party calling the people like me. Then, uh, you know, I was, the, oh, the Trump supporters, oh, these Trump supporters, that, that's what they called us. Now it's ultra-MAGA Republicans, ultra-MAGA, radical MAGA, all this stuff. I will stick with Trump until either he screws up royally, which he hasn't done, until somebody can prove that he will do a bad job of running the country or something. Because he's going to bring people out to vote. And DeSantis is very good at rallying people. He showed that because he won by millions of, of votes this time after he only won by 30% his first election. But, again... Let me relight this. The Republican Party has to continue to take the message to more and more people and not just say, well, this is our base. We have to get our base out there. I remember in the early 2000s, we were great at getting our base out to vote. That's how we won in 2000 and 2004. We, we found our base people and we got them to the polls through a lot of hard work. So to wrap it all up, yeah, we need to take a more philosophical approach to things and talk and have conversations with people but not change our stance on issues. So, we'll see where it goes from here. God bless you guys. Pray for each other. Love somebody today and be the reason somebody feels loved. If we look to the answer... As to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high. But we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid our freedom. Each one of those markers is a monument to the kind of hero I spoke of earlier. Their lives ended in places called Bellow Wood, the Argonne, Omaha Beach, Salerno, and halfway around the world on Guadalcanal, Tarawa, Port Chop Hill, the Chosin Reservoir, 
and in a hundred rice paddies and jungles of a place called Vietnam. Under one such marker lies a young man, Martin Treptow, who left his job in a small town barber shop in 1917 to go to France with the famed Rainbow Division. There on the Western Front, he was killed trying to carry a message between battalions under heavy artillery fire. We're told that on his body was found a diary. On the flyleaf, under the heading, My Pledge, he had written these words. America must win this war. Therefore, I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I will fight cheerfully and do my utmost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans.